What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. I think it was nice to see the team collectively understand each other and then collectively want to pursue a conversation right now there may have been differing opinions there may have been differences in thoughts and reasons but like i said before i think what we all understood is that we need you can't avoid the band-aid any longer we have to pull the band-aid off you can't you know pick at it pick at it no okay one fell swoop one fell rip off and then you get to the nitty-gritty right then the healing cannot actually begin Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Happy holidays to you and yearn. This week we are talking to the men's basketball coach at St. Michael's College in Vermont from 2013 to 2019. His name is Joshua Meyer. And we're also talking to one of his players, Winston Jones. And why are we talking to these two folks? Well, we're talking to them because this entire team took a knee in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick a few years back. And I want to talk to them about how one coaches around principles of social justice and if coaches even should be coaching around principles of social justice. And Joshua Meyer, I wanted to talk to him because he reached out to me after publishing an essay in Inside Higher Ed called Why Coaching for Social Justice is Important. So this is some interesting stuff. So we're going to chop it up with Joshua Meyer and Winston Jones. I've also got some choice words about how the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee is defending Olympic athletes' right to protest. It's a essay I wrote up with Mr. Jules Boykoff. Shout out to you, Mr. Jules. I also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. But first, let's go to Joshua Meyer and Winston Jones. I was hoping I could ask each of you, and I could start with you, Winston, if you could just say something about um, your journey. Like, how did you end up at St. Michael's College? Where are you from? How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm actually from Long Island, New York, um, very close to Queens, actually. And how um, I even got even connected with uh, Coach Meyer and the St. Michael's organization was actually um, through a basketball camp called Hoop Group. Um, I think this was during my 
I want to say the summer before my senior year, um, who was a basketball camp in Pennsylvania. Um, and that's kind of where I was able to really, you know, showcase my talents, you know, on a, great, on a greater scale to a lot of different coaches. And it just so happens, you know, to have um, Coach Meyer and Coach Larkin there, um, you know, part of the coaching staff there to witness and see, you know, not only my skills as a, as a player, but, you know, my person, my character outside of that as well. Um, and then from there, you know, got connected with Coach Meyer. I think like, like a, a random phone call. I, had, I didn't even know what the number was. Kind of like put me off guard. And, you know, at that time, I was super excited because you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, sometimes you, you know, think I'm worthy of a phone call to even be scouted and, and looked at. So that, that was really like a surreal thing. And then set up a visit, you know, in that August and then a special visit later on that year, in like September, October. Um, and I think the main thing that stuck out for me, um, you know, besides, you know, being a scholarship player and, and getting a chance to play college basketball, I think what stood out to me was, um how interested they were in who I was as a person first before anything basketball wise came up um, and how, how adamant they were about having me be a part of their program. Um, my, my dad always told me that when it comes to, you know, going anywhere, whether it be a job, playing basketball relationship, um, you need to go where you're valued and where you're wanted. Um, and I say Mike, especially with Coach Martin, Coach Larkin, I felt as though like, you know what, this is somewhere, where they're gonna let me grow how I want to grow and at the pace that I can grow at. Um, and like I said before, I felt wanted, I felt like it was more than just, you know, what I can do for them, but what they can also do for me as a person. Um, and uh, it was quite a troop up there, always in Vermont, but I, I did welcome the transition. I believe did welcome the changing environment. And um, I must say, it did just be a four year decision that I have no regrets for whatsoever um definitely something that i really cherish and appreciate in my time up there so that's kind of how i even got in that position nice oh quick follow-up winston was there any culture shock going from the long island oh, 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 to Vermont? for sure for sure for sure i mean the, the biggest shock was like the small town aspect um you know where i'm from is like i can get to the city in like 25 minutes and it's hustle and bustle there's noises like literally like a melting pot from every corner of the globe. So, you know, you hear different languages here and there. And then going to Vermont was like, oh, okay, we're like <laughs> almost five years back on, on the on the time scale. So it was, it was interesting to almost train myself to slow down, um, you know, very fast-paced lifestyle. And now you can think to a small town, very calm, very extremely hospitable state um, in terms of like, it was nice and asking how you're doing and I'm like, just curious about your life, you know, not trying to get, get anything out of you, just want to talk to you. Um, so definitely slowing down and then definitely um, getting used to um, operating on a smaller scale or I, what I should say is a, a more close-knit scale um, being in Vermont. So those are the two biggest factors for me at, at first. And it was kind of um, frustrating at first because, you know, you're used to one lifestyle, one way of living. And now it's like, okay, now it's still a whole curve into this and something else. So it was a bit of an adjustment period. Um, but like I said, I think, you know, certain things we, that make us uncomfortable that we may not like initially are probably the best things for us in the long run. Mm. Wow. That, that last statement could be said about a lot of things, certainly, that we're going to talk Indeed. about on this show. Indeed. 
And let me just say, I'm from New York City, and I went to college in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I had massive culture shock. So I can't imagine <laughs> you went through. I just went from a big city to a small city and was like, what am I doing here? So Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I hear you. Um, Coach Meyer, how did you end up at St. Michael's College? So I've uh, been in college coaching since I graduated. I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. I played there, and then uh, I got into coaching right away. I started at John Jay University, um, so I was in the city as well. Uh, and and then I I, I was at Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three colleges as a, a coach, a graduate assistant. Um, I kind of uh, just bounced around and um and eventually made my way up to to st mike's uh as i uh as i was kind of doing my travels my coaching travels i i i did some teaching along the way um and got my graduate degree in education so i really developed a kind of a an educator's philosophy and tried to incorporate that as much as possible um with uh you know with my coaching with my coaching pedagogy and and what we were trying to do but uh, i had a friend uh who was at st mike's a head coach and um i had i had uh, taken a break from college coaching i was a high school coach and teacher and uh he asked me to come up uh and coach with him at st mike's be his assistant coach i had a i had a desire to get back into college coaching and i had been to burlington vermont it was a really nice place we had just started our family and we thought it'd be a good place for us to, uh, to move up to from, we were at, uh, Holy Cross, uh, Holy Cross college in Worcester mass. And, um, we, uh, we gave it a shot. We thought it'd be an adventure. We had just had a daughter. Um, so I moved up, I was an assistant coach and I became the head coach after a couple of years. My friend had to, had to move down to uh, Boston for medical reasons with his family. And, um, and uh, I had an opportunity to be a college head coach, which I'd always wanted to do. And um, it, it uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was a really nice opportunity. I, I was fortunate, um, and uh, it was a great experience being at St. Mike's, a really good community. And uh, I got to work with some amazing people like Winston. Mm. Yeah, Winston. Let me ask you this: When were you first aware in life that? racism, police brutality, that th these were issues that you would have to know about and understand just in life? Um, I mean, I think I can speak for a lot of, you know, African-American youth and people of color. That's kind of like, you know how parents did you get kids to sex talk? Well, usually in the houses like mine, you had the, the racism talk, right? I, I played with a cop talk. And you kind of really see that, I mean, that could be as early as like five years old, you know, going to kindergarten. Um, and for me, I recognize that based on how my own father and mother would act, um, right? And kind of listening to what, what they valued and would tell me and then wondering why, why do I have to be overly concerned with those things where other kids can just live and be kids, you know? going to the store and, you know, being told, okay, don't put your hands in your pockets or, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't touch a lot of stuff in the store. Um, you know, give everybody a firm handshake. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. You know what I mean? Things of that nature and kind of being coached on how to be a, a citizen, you know what I'm saying? Or coached on how to be a safe citizen is what I should say, or being perceived as safe. 
Um, and I was kind of like, you know, like the introduction to understanding, you know, this complex systematic, you know, establishment of racism in, in this country, in the world, actually. Um, and it didn't become more apparent to me until I got to be a little more autonomous and more like in middle school and high school and seeing that, okay, there is blatant, you know, disregard for my abilities and my character and kind of a prejudgment of who I am based on skin color or based on, you know, perceived uh, or actions that people may have had. Um, and I mean, for someone like myself, where, where I grew up, it wasn't necessarily um, like, you know, blatantly racist or anything like that. And I actually had um, a, a very pleasant experience. Um, but then, you know, there were those moments where looking back now as I'm older, you realize like, oh, okay, that might have been something that could be very offensive or very racist in that matter. And um, as I said before, I think as a kid growing up, when you have to hear your parents, you know, give you different warnings or give you different lessons that you know other kids aren't talking about at school or aren't talking about in their own house, you have to build that and almost that kind of like a shell, almost that like guarded mentality on, okay, I got to be on my toes. I got to, you know, be two-faced in a sense. Um, so I think for me, um, that's, that's really when I started realizing it was, you know, going to school um, and going out to the store and, you know, hearing the conversation with my parents. My parents are very vocal uh, with me and my sister. Um, and I appreciate them, them, them for that because um, it didn't, you know, make me angry or anything like that, but it definitely just, gave me that power and that ability to give me that confidence to speak um, and to talk and to, to be a thinker, actually. Um, you know, I think that's one thing about myself that I can really appreciate and give them thanks for is allowing me to speak and be a thinker and to um, present myself as who I would like to be um, in any situation and knowing how to navigate that realm of being yourself. Mm. And same question for you, Coach. Like, when, when did, for you, did you feel racism, police violence, that these were things that you needed to be outspoken about? Yeah. So I can relate to what Winston is saying um, because I have a multiracial family, um, I, a partner who is a black woman. Uh, we're raising two daughters little humans uh, who are, are, are black girls um, in this world. And I, I, I'm a white man, so I have quite a bit of privilege. Um, and, uh, you know, our experiences on a daily basis are really different. Um, the air we breathe is very different. The systems that, that, that exhaust them and, um, you know, that, that question their self-worth, et cetera, work for me. Um, and that's something that we're navigating on a daily basis. And we have, you know, constant conversations um, around that, even before we had, had, had kids, uh, my partner and I, um, just being, you know, a, a white man and a black woman and, um, you know, kind of navigating that in this, in this racist society we live in and, and, um, so that's something that, that I've, I've thought about a lot. Um, and, you know, obviously I didn't have, uh, I, ha I didn't have to deal with, um, you know, the racism uh, growing up that, that Winston had to, had, you know, had to deal with, but I think being part of teams 
where diverse teams where at an early age I got to be teammates with uh, people from very different backgrounds, people of different races, etc. Um, I really started to see the different experiences and see, you know, uh, the, the privilege that I that I had uh, as a white person and the different experiences that we had. You know, you could get I could I got I was able to get a sense of what Winston was talking about and how. You know, the, the world we live in very different worlds based on our skin color. And then I think, you know, just having a family for me um, and having, you know, having to exist. And, you know, Winston was talking about uh, his parents' experiences raising, you know, raising kids of color, raising BIPOC kids. Um, we're doing that now. And uh, we have those conversations. And, 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 you know, we, we, I see how racism impacts my daughters, my partner, the toll that it takes on them, microaggressions, um, you know, their, the, the feelings about self-worth, um, mental health, et cetera, and the work that we have to do to really, um, you know, to just uh, let, our, let our kids know how valued they are, how important they are, how, you know, how beautiful they are. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that really, just connected with my experiences as a, as a coach and helped me um, just understand and create a space uh, for our student athletes. We had a really diverse team at St. Michael's where they were able to uh, grow uh, and, and really be seen, heard at a college that was a primarily white institution, um, you know, and, and, um, where they, yeah, where they could grow holistically and, um, have these learning experiences and, um, you know, uh, just be, I think in a place where, um, they were seen, heard, valued, uh, cared for as human beings and where they're, where they were, um, appreciated holistically, their identity as not just basketball players, but as people, as human beings. Mm. So now well, let's get to the let's get to the meat of the discussion here. I'll start with you, Winston, about when when the team decided to to take a knee. Can can you talk about the discussion that led to that moment, both the, the motivation for why you chose to do it, but also like what the discussions were like on the team that led to that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um well to me personally, um no, nah, I mean Colin Kaepernick and watching football, like I love watching football. I'm one of the first ones I played. Um, and, you know, so seeing that one, it was like, oh, wow, okay. That's, that's something new. Just, I, don't really, I don't really think much of it. I mean, this, we did it. Um, but I think what turned the spark in me was the reaction from others, how angry and, and heated and, um, you know, just the disgust that people were by it. I, I, I couldn't really quite grasp why people saw it as so um, blasphemous initially, um, especially because me, I have family who are retired military um, veterans and Navy and things of that nature. Um, and so I think for me, I had to really just take a second to really understand, you know, why people may have been angry first. Because um, I would, what you don't want to do is have a, a, a reaction to every action necessarily it's either the same or, or equal value. So I want to, you know, kind of before I speak on anything, I would like to know all my ducks in a row first and kind of really like understand that the bigger picture here, understand what's really um, being attacked 
per se. Um, and so in my mind, I initially was thinking like, you know what? I'm, I, I'm in a position like I'm an athlete. I've been athlete my whole life. And people already have this perception of athletes either not caring, um, either living in different worlds from other people, feeling disconnected, um, feeling that they're above, feeling that there may be um, athletes who get special treatment. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's kind of always like the perception with especially college athletes. Um, and for me, you know, to be completely transparent, I figured, like, you know what? I'm at St. Mike's, which is, you know, I think 97% Caucasian and it's like you know majority of our team is black players um, and I'm in my mind thinking like you know what I'm gonna I said, you know if I know I was gonna do it I'm gonna show people like listen I'm not just here to, to win games I'm not here just to you know play basketball and make you know the alumni donors happy and like you know we got a great team here um, I need people to understand that like Coach Myers said we are individuals before we put on any jerseys um, I need people to understand that I'm Winston with or without the purple knights across my chest. And that Winston, if you want Winston here, you need to have all of Winston. It can't be just when he's, you know, getting rebounds, making free throws, whatever it is. Um, and so initially, I just thought like, to myself, that's what I told um, one of my captains, I was talking to Levi, um, and they were real close. And we were talking about it because he's someone whose father is in the police force uh, as a black man, things of that nature. So these things are very prevalent to our lives. And I was telling out like, honestly, bro, like, I'm going to take a knee. Like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do it all season or not, but I, we, I think I think that it's important for us, especially, to let people know that, yo, we're not just figures. You know what I'm saying? We're not just here to appease people. Um, and so what we did was first have a conversation um, with a professor on campus. Um, we call him Mo. He teaches um, social peace and justice classes at St. Mike's. Um, and he came up to both of us because, like I said before, he saw the people that were liberal leaders, you know, outside of sport. And we kind of talked to him about it. And there was like a whole um, vigil on campus. And the, the local news station came and anything like that. Um, and initially, I was nervous because I was like, you know what? I don't know how it's going to be received. I know my heart, how I feel, but, you know, I still, I'm still conscious of my image. You know what I mean? I think everyone has that, that self-consciousness, that, that insecurity per se, like how they're going to be looked at by other people. Um, so that was definitely back in my mind. But like I said before, once I, um, you know, kind of took that initiative to, to say something, to show people that, like I said, I'm more than an athlete, um, it's kind of like a, a trending topic now. Um, I felt really good about myself now because, you know, I was able to be self-righteous and, you know, be like a, a public figure, but more so because of how other people were cheering me on, per se, outside of basketball, how other people were supporting me, how other people that I might never, never even talked to before ever on campus were coming up to me now saying thank you. You know what I mean? Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for speaking up. I, I, I appreciate that. I can relate to that. I, I, you showed me something different, right? I learned from you. Uh, I think a lot of times people are either too, too prideful to say I'm wrong and learn or too scared to say I want to learn. Mm. Um, and so I look at myself as, you know, I'll, I'll take the bullets initially, right? If it's going to lead to 
someone else having the shelter or someone else having the protection of the shield, you know what I mean? Um, and so now to answer your question about the locker room talk, um, it, obviously in the locker room is a little awkward at first, you know, because no one wants to sound offensive, no one wants to sound, um, you know, angry or extra self-righteous or, you know, just to kind of just disturb the, the feng shui of the team, you know. I'm kind of used to locker room talk as being about, you know, some, some video games that you've seen this highlight or, you know, just talking about like back home stuff. Um, so when you have like, you know, real conversations now, quote unquote, um, it kind of, it's a little awkward at first and uneasy, but I mean, for someone like myself, I've never been the shy type at all. And you can ask anybody on the team, <laughs> like I just go right for it. I'm on front line talking, banging, dancing, whoever it is. I, I don't, I don't really hold back. And I think it was important to ask everyone, um, not necessarily so much, are you going to kneel or are you going to not kneel? I think it was important to ask people, um, what, what do they value? Um, I think you learn a lot about a person based on what they value. And I think our team, especially those that year and the year after, um, a, a big value of everyone, um, I would definitely say family was a big one. Um, I think another big value was integrity. And I think the last big value that I saw from a lot of people was camaraderie. Um, you know, a lot of us came from, a lot of us came from different backgrounds. A lot of us had a lot of different stories. And I think a lot of us really got a chance to learn about each other on a deeper level, right? Not just people, you know, shooting habits, not just what they like to eat in the cast, not just what kind of video games and sneakers they wear, um, but relearn like, okay, what, what, what's your why? You know what I'm saying? What, what pushes you every day to wake up and want to do, you know, the same thing over and over again? What, what, what's your why? What, what helps you, you know, finish this degree? What, what helps you even want to be in this position any, anymore, right? Because it's not easy. Like, I'm, we, I think we all kind of relate. It's not easy being a college athlete. It's not easy being going to college in general. It's not easy being a student. It's not easy to do any of the things that we may do on a day-to-day basis. But there's something that's obviously inside of us that helps us keep pushing. Um, I think once we found out all of our whys and kind of figure out all of our values, it made the conversation a little bit easier. And um, I have the utmost respect for everyone in that locker room because not everyone may have knelt, but everyone understood what needed to be done and what conversation had to be done um, or had to be had, excuse me. And for, for me, it was really a transformative experience. Um, because like I said before, I think we, we really saw a revolution start, um, or I should say a revolution pick up more speed because I know before I got there years prior, the team also, um, had like a speech and wore black t-shirts before uh, a game previously as well. I can't remember what season that was, but Coach Mario could probably talk more about that. Um, and so, like I said before, we kind of just added more momentum to the revolution, to the changes that need to be happened. Um, I feel like a lot of times we'll have certain conversations, we'll have certain movements happen, and things fizzle out. Um, things kind of lose their allure after a while. Like, you know, when it gets to the real groundwork, it kind of see people falling off. So like I said before, I think it was nice to see the team collectively 
understand each other and then collectively want to pursue a conversation, right? Mm. Now, there may have been differing opinions. There may have been differences in thought and reasons. But like I said before, I think what we all understood is that we need, you can't avoid the Band-Aid any longer. We have to pull the Band-Aid off. You can't, you know, pick at it, pick at it. No, okay, one fell swoop, one fell rip off, and then you get to the nitty-gritty, right? And then the healing cannot actually begin. So like I said before, I have almost respect for everybody in that locker room and that process and us deciding on um, collectively how, how will we all be represented? Like at the end of the day, like I said before, we are part of a, a school, we are part of a campus. So we do maintain our individuality under that name. Um, so, um, you know, it's funny, talking about it now, I, I, I can see that UVM game so vividly um, in my head. And it, I, I mean, it's funny to like how much, how much of it, when we first did it, in all honesty, we felt like, okay, we're gonna do the UVM game, you know, make our statement, boom, be done with it, there we go. And if you ask me back then, would we have this much of an impact on Vermont and, you know, <laughs> the New England territories? I've been like, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. we'll see about that. <laughs> In all honesty, definitely would, did not think it was going to take off as much as it did, and for how long. I mean, because even to this day, I mean, I know that campus still probably has certain talks and um, discussions and and definitely in the A10 for sure as well. Um, so I, I, I do my utmost respect to everybody at my team. Absolutely. Uh, Coach Meyer, if you could talk to us about the mechanics of how players on the team taking a knee took place, how did that happen from your yeah. perspective? Sure. Yeah, we really just uh, tried to bring in special special people like Winston to the program and create space where, you know, where they could have leadership opportunities, create a, a student-centered space that was about them, that was about their growth, that was about their voice, where there, where there was shared voice, where people were empowered. And I think once you establish that type of space, people, people can do some really amazing things through sport. Um, it's, it's a, it's a pretty unique space, um, team sports. Um, there is, there's a platform that exists. People, sports are important in our society. And uh, I just tried to create that space and, and get out of the way as much as possible. And obviously providing support and scaffolding and, you know, but um, really just creating opportunities for, um, for our student athletes to, to express themselves not only as, as athletes, but as, as human beings. And, you know, the, the, the kind of the connections that exist in different aspects of education, uh, the educational experiences that they were having at St. Michael's, so many parallels between classroom and on the court and, you know, lessons that can be learned that connect those, those different worlds and, and really make it seamless. Um, and we wanted them to have, have those experiences and, um, just kind of uh, providing some historical context. Um, as Winston mentioned, our team had been, you know, protesting. I uh, I became the head coach in 2013. Um, we were protesting. There was a protest. Um, uh, 2014, our our team read a statement, wore black socks, um, you know, following Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, uh, their murders. Um, and uh, 
just having having the team be able to express themselves. I think when you you know when you have student athletes and they they have uh, the awareness that there's that space and um, when they're empowered, they're going to, you know, they're, I think they're going to really want to use their platform. And, and too, I think too often, uh, too often in, in college sports, in education, um, we don't have, you know, students and student athletes that are, that are truly empowered. Um, and, um, Winston, was there any, um, re- like, how would you describe the reaction from other teams, from family, from the community? How would you describe the general reaction to you taking a knee? Um, you know, I'm, I must say that it was definitely, in my opinion, a 50-50 split. So, so you said it was <laughs> rocking 50-50 as a response, and I'd love to hear about the UVM game in particular. Yes, yes. Um, so like I said before, that, that was the first. That, that was the game we decided, like, all right, this is a, a big game for us. Um, you know, UVM is a D1 team. You know, they're very nationally recognized. We know fans are going to be out there. You know, that season's just getting underway. It's a Vermont rivalry. And my mom's like, oh, this is going to be the game to set the tone, right, for the rest of the year. This, this is the game where, you know, we'll, we'll really see how progressive people actually are, not just in Vermont, but in general. You know, everyone can talk a good game. Everyone sounds nice. You know, everyone will smile in your face. But let's see, you know, how supportive people are now when athletes aren't being, you know, the athletes that they want to see or, or pay for, particularly, say, right? Um, and so, like I said before, it was kind of like a 50-50 split when we did it, like, in terms of the reaction. Um, because, you know, fans are used to teams locking arms or holding hands or putting arms around shoulders, you know, which is cool. Shows, shows solidarity, camaraderie, um, but as soon as the you know the anthem started, it was a select individuals on the team who you know dropped down and took that knee. And I mean, boy, when I I expected some backlash, but this was definitely the first time I've heard like massive outward like disgust and a hatred and a, a sense of just, you know, overall, uh, just ignorance, you know? I mean, people booing, racial slurs, throwing stuff on the court. I mean, people are getting kicked out the game because, you know, security is like, yo, this is too much. Like, it, it, it was it was a lot. But then I also, you know, hear, you know, a couple cheered. I hear a lot of clap. I hear a lot of protection as well, um, especially from Coach Myers' wife. Um, she was definitely, you know, one of the main people who stood up right away and was almost trying to shield us like we were her kids. You know, like she had, you know, <laughs> 13 sons on that court was like, oh, no, you're not just my baby. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I, I had my head down initially, and I was like, no, they need to see my face. So, I, you know, I picked my head up, and I said, everybody else, you know, took our heads up. You know, we're going to stand tall in this and look straight ahead. Um, and, you know, seeing it all, hearing it all, being in that moment, um, just, just put more of a, a spark in me, I should say, or more of a sense of pride in who I was, because I understood that this is what people, this is what people mean by leaving a legacy behind, you know what I mean? These people mean by 
you know, who you are when all the dust settles, you know, when you, you, you're long gone, what, what's going to be remembered about you? Um, and I think for me and my teammates, as you can see, we lost that game, but we bring that game up and no one even talked about that score, who, who had what, dunk, points, whatever it is, even for the rest of that school year, um, even for St. Mike's in general. Um, I think when we see the impact for how many years to come is pretty uh, substantial. I mean, for example, this past summer, we had the opportunity to be in a Nike commercial, you know, before the NBA season started, emphasizing, you know, equality, um, really equity, honestly, is what it should be emphasizing, and, you know, just the overall stance of America. And when we see the reaction now to it, it's like, oh, we're so proud of young men. These players are astounding. Very, you know, proud of them. A lot of, a lot of love. I'm not gonna say it's fake love. I'm not gonna say it's true love. Whatever it is. Um, but I think, like I said before, about being uncomfortable and about, you know, just taking the first stand when it's not like one initially um, is important. Because um, right now, if it means for being honest, it's almost easy or trendy or cool to be. Um, you know, like not a revolutionary, but someone who stands up for social injustice, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's cool now, it's a social movement to be um, someone who speaks up and stands out, which is great. I'm glad it's being seen as cool now because people will do it and we'll jump in. But it only has to be that person, our first group to get the backlash, for it to not to be cool, for it to not be trendy, for it to not be comfortable. And like I said before, I think for me and my teammates, I have the utmost respect for them because I think we were all okay with being uncomfortable for that, that game, that year, the years to come. Like, we took that leap of faith, and I call it a leap of faith because you don't, you don't know what's on the other side of that door, right? But you have faith and know that the door is going to open for you and be okay. Um, and, yeah, so getting back to the, this reaction of it all, I think I was uh, surprised. Um, but definitely expected some backlash. I think what surprised me the most was the comments made, I think, by UVM's president, I believe, um, because he kind of didn't really condemn any of the fans, and they kind of really didn't want to, you know, say anything that wasn't going to be politically correct, which I can understand. Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously college is a business and, you know, he has a, a profession and a job to keep and, you know, people that are obviously above him as well. So I understood. Did I like it? Not necessarily, but I understood, right? And I didn't hold any grudges with any UVM players, fans, none of that. But like I said before, I just listened and I observed everything and made note of like, okay, there are certain things here that I may have thought had been progressive or thought were in the right direction, but clearly there's a lot of work to be done on the foundation still. Mm. Um, and... Do you remember? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It gets question. I was going to say, do you remember what was going through your mind when you took that knee? Like, were you thinking about anybody or any case in particular, or was it more you were just taking in what was going on around you? Um, I think the first thing I thought of was my parents. Um, I, only, I thought of them first because my dad was really nervous. Um, he was really, like, not only scared, but definitely worrisome, concerned. Um, 
And necessarily because of what I was doing, but what other people, other people may do to me, right? Or what, what could possibly happen to us. So like I said before, you don't know what's on the other side of the door, right? You just hope it unlocks and you can walk through peacefully. Um, and so, like I said, when, you, when, you're, when your cradle is rocked, when the ship is rocking a little bit, it's kind of tough to stand up tall and be sturdy. But like I said, like, you need to be uncomfortable to grow. Um, you kind, you kind of got to put yourself in a bigger tank for you to really reach your two potential, really for you to grow. Um, so in my mind, like I said before, I was just thinking about my father, my mother, you know, and and thinking about like all the conversations we had, all the things they told me, all the lessons I've learned, just about life in general, and picturing, you know, how proud they would be and how proud they are to say, and then thinking about, you know, all the kids and other adults in the world who are already being uncomfortable and have taken that trip to be uncomfortable and had to go through the trial and tribulation of being a person of color in the world. And to myself, I was like, you know, this is what the platform being an athlete provides you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wanted people to see for all of us, I'm like, we are not just here to dribble the basketball. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not just a highly recruited player who's going to just, you know, bring championships and score 30 points and do all this for you, right? I'm going to do that as well as being myself, you know, as in a company who I actually am. Um, like I said before, I was just taking it all in, thinking about my parents and pretty much <laughs> getting ready for the roller coaster ride that was going to come after. Because um, I was or preparing myself like, okay, who's going to call us? What's going to happen with, you know, scholarships, everything like that. And I honestly didn't even care. I know before there was like going around that schools were threatening to take away scholarships and drop people and stuff like that. Um, so for me, it was just a matter of like, listen, at the end of the day, all you have is your name and your word. And I'm not going back on either one. Yeah, exactly. Did you feel like the school St. Michael's had your back? I feel like our coaching staff and a few select professors had our back. Um, I feel like as a whole, the school was, again, trying to be politically correct um, and trying to be somewhat um, tentative, right, and nervous because, like I said before, you don't want to rock the cradle, you know? You don't want to take the cage and then the beast comes out, mm -hmm. right? And so I feel like they were a select individual um, who definitely were behind us the whole way through, through and through, and were willing to make that sacrifice. Um, and I think a lot of people don't want to do. I think a lot of people will, like I said before, will cheer you on, smile on your face, support it, but now you may ask them to sacrifice something in return for the greater good, and everyone's like, oh, never mind, you know what? You can do that. I'm going to be over here doing what I need to do, right? Good luck, though. But I'm not sacrificing my comfort, my stability for everyone's game, right? And I just think this is a, a natural selfishness a lot of people have in the world. We're mostly Americans, but you know what I'm saying? Um, 
since I went to school, I guess I was trying to be very politically correct and didn't want to shake the cage. And we're trying to really take their time on addressing this um, and not kind of just outright having our back necessarily. And if they had our back, it was in private. Um, and what I mean by that is they'll talk to us on campus that have our back, but no direct statement to anybody. You know, I didn't really see any, you know, press coverage, quote unquote, to say about it. Um, and it kind of, the, 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 the next thing they asked us, that I remember like after that game, I was like, oh, I can do, do every game. You know what I mean? And I was like, that's the first thing you want to ask us? Is we going to do every game? And it's like, why are you asking? Are you asking to like, yeah, let's do it? Or more so scared, my God, I'm not going to be able to play any more games at home or if we're going to play national anthem at all because we're scared of what you might do. And that actually happened, like not with our school, but other schools knew we, what we were doing and wouldn't play the anthem. Wow. So we would go to games. We would, we would go to games and they would tell us beforehand, oh, we're not playing the anthem. We're going to write the last line and, and play. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of me last. I'm just like, y'all, that's scared, huh? Yeah, that's it. And I'm just like, okay, I mean, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, but my thing is like, at least you recognize what we're doing. You, you know what we're doing, and you know the reaction that's gonna happen if we do it. So that just give me all the give me all the power I needed. Cause I was like, okay, it wouldn't matter if you played it or not. If you didn't, if you thought the reaction was gonna be, you know, hugs and kisses, but you know that playing is gonna cause some disruption in the everyday, you know, occurrences. So that doesn't mean no, right then and there, from that moment on, we did the right thing. We, we opened up people's eyes greatly. You know, people were in a slumber, people were lulled in a dream, and now the nightmare was starting, right? But for the good reasons, and it needs to happen. So like I said before, for me, um, there wasn't no necessary outright support completely, but I knew people were watching, and I knew people were talking, and I knew we couldn't get the ball rolling in a direction that we need to go. That's excellent stuff. Um, Winston, this is a terrific interview. What, what are you doing now? What, what are you up to? Yeah, so currently I'm actually also in field education. I'm a special ed teaching assistant. Um, and I also have like a, a modeling career on the side. Um, and I also have been coaching my high school basketball team as well. Um, so I kind of have my hands in a lot of different pots. Um, but I think overall, all in all, um, for me, I just really focus on education and really just being kind. Um, mm. You know, I, I kind of just, I just live my life one day at a time. Um, I don't look too far back into the rear view mirror or look too far ahead out the window. I kind of just grateful every day for opening my two eyes and take, like I said, life one day at a time. Do you feel like it, it changed your life to take that knee? Um, I feel like taking the knee probably reinvigorated my life. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say change, only because I already had these feelings prior, but I think what taking the knee did for me personally is um, reinvigorate or repurpose how I live my life. Um, and I say that because, like I said before, it, it made me want to take on things that made me, made me uncomfortable. 
right? It, it showed me the, the importance and power that I possess in my voice. And it showed me how much potential as a leader I actually have. Um, and that's not to you know, glorify myself or, you know, be an upstanding person now, but it's just kind of give me a, a like I said before, my why, my, my motivation for doing anything. Um, and kind of showed me that people listen, you know, people will listen to you, right? But you know that until you actually start speaking. So I wow. think for me, it showed me, it showed me how much I need to speak um, and listen as well. I'm not going to blabber away, but like I said before, it showed me that you have to speak in order for anyone to listen. It may not be everyone, but someone is going to listen. Out of 100 people, I know one person's going to hear me, right? And that one person may not have the power to influence 100 people. They may have the power to influence 1,000, all right? Or just one other person. But it can't, nothing in life is going to start by being silent. Well, um, and so I think people didn't understand that. Yeah, and that's a great point to end on. I always ask folks on my show what music they're listening to. What are you listening to these days? As you go- <laughs> your life of oh, man. led and modeling oh, and all man. the rest of it. <laughs> um, see, my, my playlist is very eclectic, I like to say. So what I've really been listening to recently, um, I've been kind of in like my old school bag a little bit. So I've, I've been in a lot of Jay-Z recently. Um, definitely a lot of Wu-Tang for sure. Um, and also some, some newer stuff would be like... Uh, Kid Cudi, you know, the rap, rapper named Lil Yachty. But I, I kind of keep it, you know, I, like, like a balance between the old and new because everything comes full circle. So if I hear something old on the sample, I'm like, okay, this is where the person got it from. I know this new song, but I see a remix of that. So I'm, I'm pretty diverse on that, in that realm. Mm. Well, I got to tell you, Winston, this has been a terrific interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we're going to try to wing to ring Josh, Coach Meyer back right now to get them back okay. on the line yeah, as well. But yeah, I wanted, yeah, but you've given so much of your time. <laughs> I wanted pleasure, to let pleasure. you go. Thank you for having me. Oh, we'll talk again, I have a feeling. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, I, I hope so. I hope to see you soon. Talk to you, Winston. Thank you. All right, have a great day, everyone. Peace. Hello. Hey, Coach Meyer. Dave, I'm so sorry for these these technical difficulties. I apologize. No, no worries. We we got we got done with Winston. He had a great interview, but I wanted to call you back. I mean, even if you even if we couldn't get back in touch with you, we got a, we got terrific content. But I, I, there were just a couple more questions I wanted to ask you, if that's okay. I would love to. Yeah, I'm so happy you got a chance to really talk with Winston. He's an amazing person, um, yeah. really special human being. So I, I just want just a couple of questions. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I, I, I did yeah, want to I, ask. I've got, I've got no, uh, I'm, I'm not, we're good. We're not doing anything. So whatever you need, I'm, I'm, this is really important. Boy, join the club on that one. But um, I wanted to ask you, um, like, how you felt like, what was the reaction from the school from family, from community, when your team took a knee? How would you describe it? During the game or after? Oh, both, please. Yeah, okay. Um, So when we first took a knee, uh, 
at the during the exhibition game against UVM. Um, yeah, it was a, a very racist environment. Um, people were yelling all types of things at the team. Um, just uh, and it was a charged environment and a scary environment. Um, uh, my partner, who I mentioned is a black woman, and my two daughters were behind the bench, uh, and people were running up to the bench and yelling things at the team. Um, and we were definitely, uh, you know, uh, worried about safety, worried about their safety. Um, we were trying to play a game too. So, you know, this, uh, you know, during the anthem, it was, uh, you know, it was just, uh, just a lot of racism. There were people, you know, uh, uh, trying to stand up for us as well and say things to the people who were shouting things at the team. Um, but it was extremely charged. And, and I, you say this in your, in your book, uh, Game Over, which is an amazing book and, and really ahead of its time. But um, just that when you, when you speak out against racism, um, it emerges from the shadows. I, I, I love that, that quote. And uh, it really emerged. Uh, you know, people in Vermont, Vermont is perceived as this very liberal progressive state and uh, it was anything but liberal progressive at that game. There was, it was blatantly racist um, and uh, no one really did anything to stop it. You had, it was it's a big game every year because you have the two local colleges. It's an exhibition game. Um, so you have, you know, the, it's, it's a, it's a packed gym, about, you know, three or 4,000 people you have, you have uh, leaders in the community from each college. You have, you know, the, you have leader, UVM uh, leadership um, from the school uh, and no one did anything um, to stop it. Um, it just, they, you know, it was, it was able to play, play itself out. People were yelling at us to stand up. Um, you know, uh, people were yelling a lot worse than that. Um, and uh, that was that was really really difficult, um, uh, you know, to kind of just go through that. And we were concerned, we're worried about the guys and how they were feeling. Um, and uh, you know, when when people were running up to the bench after, uh, you know, after we protested, um, no one didn't, no one was really doing anything to stop that either. But you know, I think somebody could have easily gotten on on you know on the on the mic and and. And, and addressed it, but racism was really allowed to kind of just do what it wanted to do at, at, on that day. And, uh, you, you know, as I said, my partner was, was sitting right there and my kids and um, she's a black woman and somebody came up to the bench and she, she was trying to protect, you know, her family and, you know, put her body in between, uh, you know, in between any harm and, and the team and some, you know, she was verbally assaulted, uh, and, and she was asked to sit down, um, and she works at UVM. So it was a really, really mm. difficult experience for her being in that community. And you have an institution that preaches these values, um, and wasn't living up to those values, you know, prior to that game, there had, you know, there were protests at UVM, but, um, that was just an example of how the college wasn't living up, living up to those to those values that it, that it preached, um, you know, social justice and openness and honesty and, um, you know, and, and uh, so that was really disheartening for her. 
um, and for us as a family. Um, there were, you know, there were certainly people in the community that supported uh, what the team did, but from an institutional standpoint, both institutions um, took a stance that did not support, you know, really support the team. UVM did not name what happened um, at the game. They didn't stop it when it was going on, and they didn't name it after. Um, I think, you know, concerns about, you know, financial um, financial implications, and you know they were building a new a new facility, and I'm sure that had an impact. And you know the the president released the statement that was um, yeah, was did, didn't name it, didn't address it, and that you know that really upset people in the community who were who were already upset for the way that you know people of color were being treated at UVM. Um, there had, like I said, there had been protests by students to change the names of buildings and and things like that had been going on in the community and then the game happened and um, it really, it, there was, there was a lot of harm that was done um, because of the way that how they handled it, how UVM handled it. And then St. Michael's side on St. Michael's side, um, you know, we were definitely, there were people in the community who were supporting us, but from an institutional standpoint, um, they did not support us. Our president released a statement that, that wasn't supportive of what the team did and, and, um, you know, really, uh, so we, we definitely felt like, uh, we were out there kind of on an Island. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I just tried to really, um, kind of just acknowledge and really let the guys know how proud I was of them and bring in people who were supportive and who really understood what they had done. And I wanted them to, to just know how, how amazing and, and how courageous their actions were. And um, there was so much work done. Uh, Winston mentioned, the, you know, before the game, after the game, um, dating back to 2014, we had been doing, doing uh, work around, you know, it, around Black Lives Matter and other social justice work. And after the game, there were panels. Our team wrote, released videos. Um, we continued to take a knee institutions uh, chose not to play the anthem during some games when they knew that we were coming to town. Um, and that, that's pretty ironic. You know, that's, mm -hmm. I think institutions can, can choose not to play a knee, but if, if student athletes and, and teams decide to take a knee, uh, you know, how, the, you know, the, how they're treated. Um, and, and it's just, uh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, really ironic, but, there was, you know, in, in our community, there were there were media responses. Uh, there was a local ESPN radio affiliate that, you know, that that was talking about uh, how, you know, the, uh, just kind of how it's performative, and with with real no understanding of all that went into, you know, what the team uh, did. You know, so much went into it before in terms of conversation and you know, the work that we had been doing. And then so much, you know, there was so much work done after to, to educate, to help people understand, um, to try to bring people together, to try to heal the community. Um, and uh, yeah, and, it, you know, we definitely had people who supported us too, but it, this was, you know, well before uh, it was popular to take a knee. And, um, and especially- 2016, uh, right? Two th what's that? It was 2016, right? Like right after 2017, 2017, 2017. November, okay. Yep. 
November 2017, and you know we were a team. This you know uh, it was a t- uh, diverse team, and uh, we had coaches take a knee too with the guys. You know, coaches who were white, and um, you know I I think that that you know it, the the way we did it and kind of what it represented was very scary for people. Um, it was a threat to systems. Um, you know, the, the team was really protesting uh, racism and systemic racism, but, you know, all, all forms of oppression. And I think systems and whiteness they don't, don't appreciate when they see that. And, um, you know, the, the, you talk about it in your book um, as well, the uh, kind of the NCAA and, and what it would take to really uh, – you know, kind of challenge the, you know, the, 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 the current structure and, you know, there's, there's so much, these, these models of coaching and team right now are very authoritative. They're based in white supremacy. And when a team does what we did to protest against racism, we're protesting against all systems, including the NCAA, which is based in, you know, in these very authoritative models that, that control ultimately that control student athletes of color. Um, black and brown bodies. And when those are challenged, you know, the, the, you're talking about systems that are living, breathing things. They don't like it. You know, people don't like it. People in positions of power, coaches that have authoritative, you know, frameworks and, and philosophies. And, um, you know, it, it throws it off for a loop. And ultimately, you're talking about a framework that could challenge the NCAA too. As you're saying, you know, if you want a team to go out to, to midfield, during that, during the Fiesta Bowl, and 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 you know, really kind of decide not to play. You've got to create cultures and 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 team uh, team dynamics where student athlete voice is heard, where they're empowered, um, where they're not, you know, you, where it's not an authoritative hierarchical structure. Um, and we really tried to do that. And I think that that you know some of these things were a reflection of, of what we're doing and, and a reflection of the really special student athletes that we had and that do have a voice. They just need, they need a space to really, to really, they need a space where their voice can be heard um, and they need to feel like they can be the, their true selves. Wow. Coach Meyer, you, you had a lot of success at, at St. Michael's. You left in 2019. Why did you do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my first two years we had winning seasons, and then the the next four weren't weren't uh, weren't uh, winning seasons. Um, you know, we uh, so I experienced some ups and downs from that standpoint. Um, you know, from a from a traditional kind of one win loss standpoint, and um, you know, my my best moments were when we were when we were. Uh, doing the social justice work and when our, you know, we were doing retreats that, that really uh, brought us together as a team and allowed the student athletes to unpack their identities and talk about their different experiences, the, the educational piece um, and the, and the social justice piece that, you know, that's what I was most passionate about. And, um, you know, I, I always saw myself as an educator, as a teacher. Um, that's why I loved basketball and, it was really difficult to to exist in a world that uh, where college college sports uh, is a it, it's you know uh, it's really it, it's not educational it's a business it's a business 
um, it's a business, you know, uh, it's a financial, um, it, uh, it has more to do with winning and money than anything else. And if you're someone who's an educator, if you really believe in uh, empowering student athletes and, um, and I think once you kind of, you know, once you're a little bit awake and you see these things, you understand that the world you exist in, um, you know, it, it, it loses its soul. It's not where you want to be. And it definitely lost its soul for me. And I just, I felt myself on a daily basis, uh, having to, having to fight a battle where I, you know, I didn't care how many games we won. I, I wanted the student athletes to have a really um, impactful learning experience where a transformative learning experience. I wanted them to be seen, heard, and I, I wanted to go against the system and, and do everything I could to kind of work against the system. And it's hard to do that. It's exhausting. And uh, I've transitioned to uh, education. I'm, I'm doing restorative practice, restorative justice work in, in Burlington, Vermont now in, in K through 12 schools in our district. And um, I can just educate. I can just help people, which I was trying to do in college sports. It's just, you know, fighting, fighting that uphill battle in college sports in a world where, you know, people say they're about education, but when it comes down to it, it's, it's about winning. And that's the culture that exists. And, um, you know, and uh, we really tried to work against that with everything that we did, empowering our student athletes, empowering assistant coaches, creating a model where, people's voices were going to be heard. Uh, and, you know, in the long, in the short, short term, sometimes um, that can impact, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, it might not go perfectly when you're giving others opportunity and allowing them to really be leaders on the court. And, and you, you know, you might not get the win, but in the long run, I think you're going to be a better team when you, you know, when you will kind of create space where others have more responsibility and, where they have voice, um, you know, assistant coaches too. I think our, our, our model of coaching is really outdated. I think it's based in white supremacy, authoritative frameworks. We, we tried to give our assistant coaches um, opportunity to really be head coaches. And I, I loved supporting assistant coaches as they became head coaches, um, you know, and, and helping them see that these other aspects of coaching are really important, that they are educators, that they do have to coach for social justice, that they do have to um, really empower student athletes and, and create spaces where they're seen and heard. Um, and, you know, I, a lot of times I would just sit down and, and let the assistant coaches coach, which, it, which you know, it, it really throws people for a loop when they see that, but our assistant coaches aren't getting appropriate training. They're, they're, you know, our, the, these, co these models of coaching are, are you know, they're, they're more sales and they're more show as opposed to substance, you know, and, and assistant coaches similar, similar to how, you know, teachers are trained and how things work in the education world is, uh, you know, they have to be supported and um, provided with opportunities to really grow as coaches as opposed to just kind of people being used um, and, you know, kind of, uh, uh, authoritative models and um, models that are based in kind of control and power and um, that that all didn't work for me I, I needed a, a different space and, and I, I love I've always loved basketball more than anything um, you know and, and uh, it, it's you know basketball has been really amazing and it's 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 taken me so many places and it you know I, I met I met my partner and 
because of it and so many good friends, but it definitely lost its soul. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, I think that just being in the business of coaching and of college sports, um, uh, it, it, uh, it, I was ready to move on and, 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 and be in a place where I think, uh, I could really be myself and, uh, you know, that aligned with my values. It's awesome. Just one more question for you. You've been so generous with your time. I mean, you, you wrote this article in inside higher ed. It's terrific. We'll put it out. It's called why my coaching for social justice is important. How does a coach, how would you advise a coach who's interested in coaching justice how would you advise them about how to have that as a part of team culture without them you know using the very models that you described that very authoritarian top top down model and then they, they 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 find themselves dictating these beliefs around social justice to their players who follow along with it because of the very authoritarian model that you rightly criticize mm. Yeah, it it can't be performative. It's got to be real, and and you know that that's that comes back to what we're talking about with um, really changing the model of coaching and how coaches are uh, how how coaches are trained. And um, part of that training has to be doing. Coaches need to do self work, and we all you know, especially white coaches like myself, we have to understand you know the privilege that we have uh, as white as white people, as white men, our identities. Um, and we have to understand the experiences of others, truly understand, you know, what student athletes of color have experienced in their life, what they're experiencing at primarily white institutions. Um, and, um, you know, just the, how important it is to, to do that work. You can't just show up one day and say, okay, I'm going to coach for social justice. It's, you have to do deep work. You have to read, you have to, listen to the experience of, of people who have been marginalized. Um, and, uh, you know, that, I, I think that takes systemic transform transformation. Um, we need to, to change the system of, of college sports and we need to change the model of coaching. Um, you know, that, that, that starts at the highest level, um, of college basketball, but it trickles down. Um, we see it in youth sports, um, we see it at all levels of college basketball where, you know, coaches feel that they have to win basketball games and that's the priority. And we have to move away from that to one that is, you know, where education is the priority, where, um, you know, the, the, the growth of our student athletes, preparing them for life after college is the most important thing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, just... Uh, really really shifting um there, there's you know a lot of uh, a lot of change that's necessary yeah well coach this is a, it's a remarkable story thanks to you thanks to winston thanks to everybody on your team who are part of facilitating what you did really do appreciate your time dave thanks so much for having me uh this is this is an honor I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you do. Um, I, I think there's so much power in sports, um, and, you know, and uh, I've always seen it as, as a vehicle for change. And it's just so refreshing to read your stuff and, and to hear you talk about that. And it's, you know, right now, 
there, there's a lot of opportunity that's that's missed because of because people don't approach it like that. You know, especially, you know, the, the in the college and youth sports, um, it, there's so much potential to really help to to help change our society and to help you know make make this world this society more just. And sports sports is a vehicle for that. And you've been preaching that for a long time. And and uh, I'm just I'm really grateful for for everything that you do. That's very kind of you indeed. Um, that's Coach Josh Meyer. How can people follow up with your work, future articles, things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, yeah, I released the article. They published it as Why Coaching for Social Justice Matters um, on Inside, Inside Higher Ed. I, 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 I'm more than happy to talk with anybody about that work. And um, I really enjoy, uh, you know, helping coaches um, learn about that and people like understand, um, you know, uh, kind of just understand this, this different approach to coaching new sports. I've, I, I've, I've been doing some writing. I'll probably do some more. I'm a really slow writer and reader. Um, so, but I, uh, I, I love writing about it, talking with anybody who, who's willing to listen um, because like you, Dave, I really believe in, in, in the power of sports and, and uh, we want to see things better. We want to see a more just, a just, you know, more just world where, where, uh, yeah, where, where people are, are treated with equity and, and, you know, um, where, where Winston, my daughters, um, you know, don't have to have those really, really negative experiences with racism where they can, where they can just be seen and heard um, and, and be seen and heard as the amazing people that they are. So uh, I, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff with folks. Right on. Coach Meyer, thanks so much for your time and really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dave. Happy holidays. Best wishes in the new year. You as well, sir. Be well, my friend. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about the USOPC defending Olympic athletes' right to protest. Okay, look, there's an old joke that floats through Olympic circles. How many members of the International Olympic Committee does it take to screw in a light bulb? The answer, zero. They're too busy screwing over athletes who wish to express political dissent. Ha <laughs> ha. Indeed, the IOC has a long history of punishing and threatening athletes who have the temerity to speak out on social justice issues. Whether it's John Carlos and Tommy Smith after their iconic medal stand protest in 1968, or Damian Hooper, the Australian boxer who at the 2012 Olympics wore a t-shirt into the ring celebrating his aboriginal roots. Now, a bold move by the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee may render that joke moot. 
Last week, the USOPC announced that it would not sanction U.S. Olympic athletes who protest peacefully and respectfully in support of racial and social justice for all human beings, end quote. This was a direct repudiation of a rule in the Olympic Charter that states no kind of demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda is permitted in any Olympic sites, venues, or other areas. The infamous Rule 50. Now, with Team USA a major power broker in Olympic circles, this puts the pressure on the IOC to reconsider this rule, to actually put down the infamous Rule 50 in advance of the postponed Tokyo Summer Olympics. Those would be the 2020 Olympics, which are going to be called the 2020 Olympics, even though they will be held in 2021. This sharp shift in direction by the USOPC did not come out of nowhere. In recent years, the IOC's rule forbidding jock activism has become a major source of discontent among Olympic athletes. Groups like Global Athlete and the Athletics Association have been fighting for athletes' rights, both in the public sphere and behind the scenes. But the game changer was the massive nationwide protest this summer after the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which saw many athletes both speak out and take to the streets. In response to this political tinderbox, the USOPC set up an athletes working group, the 44-member Council on Racial and Social Justice, and charged it with providing recommendations with the aim of eradicating social injustice and cultivating change through strengthened athlete voices. The IOC's increasingly out-of-tune rule against dissent fell smack into the group's purview. Now, all too often, blue ribbon commissions are places where good ideas go to die. But not in this instance. The group made firm recommendations that cut against the grain of IOC power and preference. And to the USOPC's credit, its leaders listened. One recommendation demands that the IOC and International Paralympic Committee update guidelines to allow for peaceful actions that specifically advocate for human rights and racial and social justice. It must be noted that the group differentiated those acts from to-be-defined divisive demonstrations, including but not limited to currently prohibited acts of hate speech, racist propaganda, political statements, and discrimination. In the future, one could certainly see conflict between what one person sees as a call for racial justice and what another could brand a quote-unquote political statement. But for now, this is broadly a step in the right direction. As I said before, this was a direct response to guidelines issued by the IOC earlier this year that forbade activism at the Tokyo Olympics, prohibiting, quote, gestures of a political nature like a hand gesture or kneeling. Now, the IOC stated that their guidelines were simply meant to help people enjoy the experience of the Olympic Games without any divisive interruption. But there were clear and obvious jabs at two U.S. Olympians, hammer thrower Gwen Berry and fencer Rayson Bowden, who raised a fist and took a knee respectfully at the 2019 Pan American Games to fight back against racial inequality. When asked about those specific gestures of dissent, USOPC CEO Sarah Hirschland replied, I can't imagine that raising a fist or kneeling would be considered insensitive. In a letter to U.S. Olympians, Hirschland went further, saying, 
I would be remiss if I did not address the experiences of Team USA athletes Dr. John Carlos, Dr. Tommy Smith, Gwen Berry, and Rayson Bowden, whose peaceful and courageous protests were met with reprimand or indifference. It is now clear that this organization should have supported instead of condemned and advocated for understanding instead of relying on previous precedent. For that, I apologize. We reached out to Gwen Berry, who said, I'm happy with the recommendations announced by the USOPC Racial and Social Justice Committee this morning and USOPC's statement that athletes will no longer be sanctioned for peaceful protests. I was also happy to read about World Athletics President Sebastian Coe's ongoing support for the right of athletes to protest. The ball is firmly now in the IOC's court to do what's right and ban Rule 50 altogether. But that's not all Gwen Berry had to say. She also made clear that our focus should not be on the right to gesture as much as it should be on, quote, the reasons behind our protests in the first place. The fact is, she said, the incarceration of blacks in America, the killing of innocent black people by police and the gap in equity between the wealthiest Americans and black people is worse than it was 52 years ago when Tommy and John protested in Mexico. I will continue to be focused on these issues more than worrying about the IOC who is detached from reality. And I will be doing whatever I can to help because in reality, education and support for black youths and support for black businesses are ways to proactively improve black lives in America. Statements like these are a reminder that this isn't about securing the right for some kind of performative atmosphere, but the right of athletes to use their platforms to draw attention to injustice. Hopefully they will also push the USOPC to challenge the IOC directly to finally abolish the infamous Rule 50 in the Olympic Charter. Today, John Carlos and Tommy Smith are regarded as heroes, even featured in a video on the damn Olympic channel. The idea of praising the rebels of the past while squelching those of the present and future is simply untenable. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports Podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Got to do this quick, folks. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down Awards. The Just Stand Up Award goes to the Duke women's basketball team for canceling their season because of COVID. I only wish that more teams had the courage to do this. I only wish that more teams had the courage to say that the health of their players matters above all else. Um, and I think this is so important and real kudos, I have to say, to first year head coach Kara Lawson, um, because th- this is all her. We know her from the D.C. area and just shout out to Kara Lawson and shout out to the Duke women's basketball team. And yes, it hurts to give a just stand up award to anything related to Duke. But if you know Kara Lawson, you know that, that more than makes up for the dukiness on display. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award goes to the Houston Sports. Good gracious, what a train wreck. I mean, from the Houston Astros and the cheating scandal 
uh, to the Houston Texans trading DeAndre Hopkins and wasting Deshaun Watson to James Harden. And the train wreck that is James Harden. I'll just say when it comes to the Houston Rockets, this is what happens when you uh, let a mobster own the team. So, I mean, people think that franchise ownership, it actually does matter who's in charge and Tillman Fertitta. I mean, this is somebody who has no business owning an NBA team and the fish rots from the head. So this is where we're at. And so for the people of Houston, I love you. But for the teams of Houston, sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to Coach Meyer. Thank you so much to Mr. Winston. Thank you so much for you guys coming on the show and speaking as you spoke. Uh, For everybody out there listening, be safe. Please stay frosty. Happy 2021. We are out of here. Peace.